brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts, offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. gentlemen hello and welcome back welcome back once again to the longest running show in the world about data it's called dm radio yes indeed folks year 14 rocking and rolling now coast to coast here in america and uh, all overseas in fact i was talking to uh, one of the luminaries in our business just this morning on a call and she joked that last time she was on a show she got an email from one of her employees who said, oh, I'm walking around doing my usual thing, listening to DM radio. And then my boss comes on the air and I was like, holy crow, I didn't know you were on that show. So uh, we're everywhere. We're in uh, Europe. And today's show is truly international. We've got, of course, the U.S. dialed in. We also have Belgium and Australia. We've got a gentleman so dedicated. He's calling in live from Australia. It's early in the morning in Australia, just so you know. But the topic for today is a fantastic topic. It's really very interesting. Authority figures, dynamic policy management. What does that mean? So we're going to be hearing from Nick Halsey, my good buddy from Okira, who basically turned me on to this whole concept. Patrick Spenning from Sea Change Solutions. We've got Bart Vandevikova, I think if I got that correctly, calling in from a new company, Volta, most recently Calibra, and Rehan Jalil as well from Security. And we're going to talk about what this stuff means. So basically, folks, policy management in the enterprise software world until a few years ago was really kind of like wishful thinking. You would have a policy that said, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And then you just had to kind of hope that people would read the policy and pay attention to it. And that didn't happen very often. I don't imagine. I think that people just did what they wanted and uh, they sometimes got in trouble and usually did not. But the point is that these days you can actually have very gritty very granular and significant policies in place that are dynamically enforced and they can change with changing dynamics in the organization. And that's really cool stuff. So today we're going to talk about being authorized to view data. For example, privacy is a really big deal these days. Finally, has kind of come to the fore. It's been a long time in the coming, I suppose. Big companies out there right now make a lot of money selling your data. I could promise you that's true. You do have some control. You can go into your settings and say, okay, I don't want you to have access to this data. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But the point is that uh, there are very serious regulations these days. Of course, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation that came out of the EU, is basically de facto policy in America and elsewhere, even if folks don't uh, legally have to abide by it. Nonetheless, big companies are. And so it might as well be the law. CCCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, is in effect. And from people I talk to, they say it's even more severe than GDPR in terms of the impact. So these are very serious and companies, big companies in particular, have to get very serious and responsible about how they are governing access to their data, which oftentimes is your data. So with that, to start us off, uh, Nick Halsey from Okira, tell us, what are you folks working on? I, I know what you've built, but to explain to the layman out there, the business person who may not fully understand where we're going, but knows they have to do something. So tell us a bit about yourself and Okira and how you are enabling dynamic policy management. Hey, Eric, thanks so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. This is such a vital topic these days. I mean, the, the, the requirements, as you point out, are just getting higher and higher. And really what we're seeing here is the convergence of two really significant challenges for most organizations, particularly large uh, multinational firms or heavily regulated industries like banking, healthcare, pharma, retail, et cetera. You've got the first challenge of data security, right? Just putting basic security around your data to prevent hacks, to prevent breaches. Uh, and most people don't realize this, but over a third of, of data breaches are caused by insiders, people who actually have credentials to get access to data and are misusing it. 
And then the other problem is the privacy regulations that you talked about. And it seems like there's another one every month. I mean, the state of Virginia just passed a set of laws. Oh, wow. uh, Brazil's laws went live in December. It's hard to keep track of them. And this is just going to be a bigger and bigger problem uh, as, as, as we go forward. So how can organizations think about implementing systems where you can define policies and then have them enforced at runtime uh, so that the most current version of the policy is being enacted at the time of the interaction with the data. And that's what Okira is focused on primarily, is providing the policy enforcement engine at runtime so that you can define fine-grained access controls that allows companies to be compliant with their security and their privacy regulations and then let users interact with the data so they see the right data at the right time in the right format with the right constraints around it, like whether it's been data has been obfuscated or tokenized or redacted so that you can interact with it, but you know, not see the PII that we're all so worried about. Yeah, and, and that's the real key, right? Is It's so funny because when I opened up the show, I talked about how it used to be in policy management. And like I said, it was wishful thinking. And now not only can you enforce policies, you can design very fine grained policies that say people in this kind of job should have access to this type of data. But then with the case of Okira, you can enforce that at runtime, meaning as a query is, is populated and entered and triggered, Okira comes in and senses, okay, does this person really have access or should they have access? And they have, if the answer is no, it blocks the sensitive data sets, right? That's right. So let me give you an example that I think most people in the audience would resonate with. You know, you go to visit a website and usually a thing will pop up and it says, I use cookies and do you accept cookies or do you want to not do this? And that's a really important function. And suppose, particularly in Europe, I click on the button that says, I want to exercise my right to be forgotten, right? There's a right to be forgotten. So I click that button, I would expect a company to forget me, right? The problem is it actually takes many months to actually forget somebody. I mean, you know, the, I'm working with a giant global retailer. It takes three months of batch jobs to actually get you out of all the system. So like what you wanna be able to do at runtime is do a lookup into the database where it records the fact that you just said, I'd like to be forgotten. And then immediately applies that to redact your information from the data when the query is being run. So it's a virtual right to be forgotten. So things like that, that's why dynamic policy enforcement at runtime is so critical because you, know, you, you can't wait for the systems to catch up. You wanna be able to do it uh, at the moment of expression. Another great example is the increasing priority of something called geofencing, right? Which would say, I can see German data when I'm in Germany, but even though I have the rights to that, if I happen to be out of the country on a business trip, I'm not allowed to because of certain you know, locality of data laws. So being aware of the state of uh, you know, the environment around you, where you are, the time of day, the period, the zone can impact what policies are enforced or, or, or how they are enforced. So that real-time enforcement is really, really critical to, to, to delivering an optimal outcome. Yeah, and that's, it's really important these days because you have such a variety of regulations by region. You suggested Virginia, for example. States, of course, have their own legislatures, their own policy, crafters, et cetera, and so do countries. And so you, you need to be able to abstract that away because you cannot have a one-size fits all approach to this unless it's very strict and then you're causing usage issues, right? That was always the challenge in the past is that too much governance is viewed as a hindrance. It's slowing me down. I can't do my analysis, whatever. But these days, first of all, you have to be able to do it at runtime. But second of all, I think we've kind of realized as an industry that this is very important and we need to, to make sure we get it done now, right? It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. 
The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I'm actually really concerned existentially about this notion of, of like of, of policy explosion. And I think some of my peers here on the mm. panel have some solutions that can really help with that because like, does it make sense for every state in the United States to have their own policy? I mean, we've right. got now, I hear 10 more working on it. Maybe there should be a national policy, but, you know, there'll probably be a red state policy and a blue state. Po- I don't know. You know, we joke that in, in, uh, in, in California, you have to mask all the data, but in Texas, there's no masking, right? So, <laughs> so, That's pretty so funny. We're, That's how, pretty good. How will this happen? But I think it's going to be incumbent on the vendor community to be able to like actually have a policy reference library. It's not something that Okira is working on, but we would love it if one of our partners here uh, would be able to sort of like uh, take the policies and make them available, you know, as a, as a service that you could look up and then we could grab it and then apply it. That would be a fantastic outcome because I think if too many uh, countries or states or regions implement different policies, it's just going to become a, a nightmare uh, for companies to implement uh, and they won't yeah. be able to operate in certain countries. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. And you're, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate the, the life cycle, if you will, of policy design implementation and then enforcement. And it's on that enforcement side, that a lot of people forget that, it's very unwieldy and uh, it can be very uneven in terms of how it's enforced in terms of you know, who gets penalized and who doesn't. And that's of course not the ideal scenario, but you bring up a really good point, Nick, about policy explosion. I think that's where we're going. Let's actually use that as a segue to tee up a hard question for Patrick Spedding of Sea Change Solutions early in the morning in Australia. <laughs> I, I think that uh, Nick really hit, hit, the, uh, hit the ball right out of the park there in terms of the concern that we are just right on the precipice of a policy scenario that is unmanageable. But what do you think, Patrick? No, it's interesting. Uh, it's it's not something that I'd actually considered. But when I've reflected while Nick was talking there, you know, we've, we've seen the same thing because I do a lot of uh, what I've been doing certainly the last 12 months has been around policy uh, with government agencies around um uh, COVID and, and economic and socioeconomic impact. And when I reflect, uh, as Nick was talking there, I, I um, you know, I realized that I have the same issue because I'll deal with, say I'm dealing with um, a local government agency in uh, Tasmania and um, the rules, the, the state data rules in Tasmania are different to they are in New South Wales, which is my home state. And so in New South Wales, for example, I can get access to crime statistics monthly at a certain level of detail. And in, in Tasmania, they're not available at all. They're not released. So it makes it very difficult to kind of get that holistic view of, of you know, what's being impacted. And, um, you know, in some areas, for example, uh, so even some agencies, it varies not just by location, but also by the um, agency itself. So some agencies will release data at the suburb level. Um, but then, of course, you know, you've got concerns around, you know, if, if a suburb is very small and only has a handful of people, then are you releasing, uh, can, can people be identified by the fact you just released homelessness data at that level um, and, and so on. So when we're looking at, you know, the, the, the socioeconomic impact in particular of regions and we're seeing um, a shift in terms of um, behaviors because people are working from home and it's and in regions in particular is putting stress on the rental market people are getting made homeless because um, property owners are flipping residential properties into airbnbs and and there's so many flow on effects and the data you know the government agencies want to be responsive because in the time of covid you can't use previous models because you know it's it's so it's such a time of change that we've never faced before so 
the um, the old rules don't really don't exist, and so the, the agencies are trying to get on the front foot and say, well, how can we build an economic economic resilience framework to help us plan our way out of COVID and deal with with some of the unprecedented changes that we're seeing, and it's you know that requires access to data, not just within agencies, but even to inform business communities, and which means making the data open and accessible on a platform. But then how do you balance the, the um, data privacy issues with making the information publicly available? So it's quite a, an interesting challenge that we're facing in terms of trying to let regions um, and communities have access to the data that they need to be able to um, understand how to, how to recover from this situation. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking to myself, and I, I've asked questions like this of guests, you know, for the past 14 years. When you talk about policy and regulation, I, I hope that we're getting closer to the point where, with natural language processing and our understanding of syntax, for example, and our understanding of, of words and rules and so forth, that we could get some sort of machine readable version of a law when it comes out. Because mm. I, I think, first of all, it's it's kind of going to have to happen. But do you see at least an awareness on the part of legislators and policy designers in government that we do need to be cognizant of how these things get translated and actually rolled out or transacted, if you will, in software? I as a as a whole, I don't actually. I don't see that. I mean, even just recently, uh, and dealing with so many different agencies, like you know, the Tax Office, um, Bureau of Statistics, um, and Department of Social Security. You know, they've all got different data sets that could be pulled together quite nicely to understand what's going on. But they, the the rules are all different. The the level of data that they'll release at is different. Some will release at suburbs. Some will release at zip code. And and it, I think it really takes for a leader within say a state government to be very data savvy and we happen to have one in in new south wales for example um dominello is in charge of the data strategy for the state government and and, and in that particular case he drives consistency across how data is shared and released across different um portfolios within the state such as transport and so on and so i think but i think it, it's almost ad hoc it takes for an individual to be data savvy and data driven at a high level of government to be able to then um, drive that consistency but i think as a, as a rule I, I don't see it i mean even now with covid I, I saw you know health authorities would release some would release covid data and some wouldn't um it, it was really all over the shop in terms of of what was made available yeah, and that's, you know, what can I say? That's a little bit disconcerting, but uh, maybe you can be the pioneer of change down there. Because to me, we got about a minute before break. It is important that that people in positions of authority, especially enforcement, recognize that machines are going to be not just managing this process, but I think eventually adjudicating it to a certain extent. I mean, they're already adjudicating in a business context, but 30 seconds. What do you think about that, Patrick? No, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, you'd hope to see, like, as we're starting to see um, cyber governance understanding coming onto boards, we should start to see that wave of, of experienced people such as ourselves moving into positions where those um, policies can be um, implemented that are going to help and, and make the information more consistent and more available. Yeah, it's a fascinating time. I mean, there's so much data and we're just at the precipice of these systems opening up if you look at just the history of data management. But folks, we're talking to four experts today. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're listening to DM Radio. Hey, everybody. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage and Rocket Companies. Last year, we saw historically low mortgage interest rates. In fact, over 1 million homeowners took advantage of refinancing or buying a new home with Rocket Mortgage. What you may not know is that interest rates are already starting to increase again. And it's likely that trend is only going to continue. Our team of experts is standing by to help you save before rates go up. With an official mortgage review from Rocket Mortgage, you'll see just how much money you could save by making a move right now. Don't look back over these next few weeks and wish that you had taken action. You could save hundreds on your mortgage payments or pay off your home loan earlier than planned. You could even take cash out of your home to pay off high-interest debt, complete home repairs, or bulk up on an emergency fund. 
When you want to secure a low rate, Rocket can. Call 833-8-ROCKET or visit rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states and MLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Were you inspired by some of the great painters throughout history? Was it Hopper, whose realism captured what a camera never could? Or the likes of Pollock or Picasso, with abstract creations that sparked our imaginations? Then we have this painting. A radio, locked in a cage. Or is it you? Trying to be a talk artist for some corporation. But the small thinking agenda setters just want you to paint by numbers. Well, here at Gab, you'll have a full palette. With all the colors and brushes you need, and none of the agendas or restrictions that limit your creativity. We can engineer your show, edit your podcast, screen your calls, and connect you with affiliates all over the country. And you finally get to create. Take control of your art. Contact us at info at talkunfettered.com. That's info at talkunfettered.com. While at line in an army hospital in Germany, my parents got a letter that said I had 48 hours to live. They even sent a flag to put on my coffin. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I left the military with a traumatic brain injury. And when I got home, I fought depression, anxiety, and alcohol, and had nothing to look forward to. DAV provides a lifetime of support to veterans of every generation, helping more than a million veterans each year. With DAV's help, my world changed 100%. I was able to build a new life for myself. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. I'm Adam Greathouse, Army veteran. But there are more victories to be won. My victory is just feeling alive and experiencing life. Adam Greathouse, thank you for your service. May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back here on DM Radio. It's a Thursday at three, baby. It's when we do these ever since 2008. So time flies when you're having fun. And uh, we've got an all-star cast today, Nick Halsey of Okira. We've got Rehan Jalil coming up in a moment of security. Patrick Spedding of Sea Change Solutions and Bart Vandekakova from Volta, brand new company. But Patrick, I'll throw it back to you just to kind of to close the loop on that discussion. You know, working with government data, well, it's, it should be even more sensitive, I suppose, than uh, than corporate data. But we do have this just sort of tug of war going on between large corporate interests. I guess it's not new. It's always been around. But in the data age, what do you see happening in terms of privacy? Like how much emphasis is there on privacy in data management in Australia? And what's the sort of trajectory there that you see? Yeah, I think it's it's been uh, a big topic and a big concern for a number of years. I mean, I remember um, even pre-COVID dealing with government agencies and they would um, refuse to 
uh, they, they were concerned about data sovereignty, so they'd be they'd refuse to deal with, say, uh, a vendor that only had their cloud infrastructure offshore. So if it was unless it was actually on-prem, if the cloud infrastructure was uh, in Australia, then they would they, they would do business, and if they they weren't, it, they, they wouldn't. So that was that was a, a fairly hot topic for a number of years over here. But um, you know, I, I think that. Um, you know, we probably follow fairly closely with the European model in terms of, uh, like, you know, we, we um, look at the uh, GDPR policies, for example, and um, certainly take those into account. So I think that there's a fairly strong um, policy management around data in Australia. And, and for example, the uh, governing body of um, uh, that, the, um, if you like, um, enforces governance of boards, um, directorship within Australia, is is very strong on holding uh, boards of directors accountable for cyber breaches. So, you know, that's something as well that's, you know, you're not just as a board director myself, you know, I know that we have legal liability, you know, for example, if, if you trade well insolvent, then you're personally liable as a board director. Well, now, if there's a cyber breach, you're also personally liable as a director wow. of a company in Australia. So they're fairly strong in, in that regard. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, that's, I suppose that's good news, and it's a good segue to bring in uh, Rehan Jalil from security.ai. And Rehan, you know, the, the, the ongoing joke in security is it's not if, it's when you're going to get breached, and so what do you do then, mm. right? And so I think that's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to be on a board in, in uh, Australia, I'll put it to you that way, <laughs> based on what Patrick just said, like, I want to sleep at night, man. But uh, Rehan, tell us a bit about your company and what you're doing to tackle these issues around data privacy. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for inviting to your show. It's a, it's a, a great event. Uh, maybe a, a couple of sentences uh, about the company. We're a Silicon Valley-based company. Uh, we funded fast-growing, uh, recognized by some independent forums like Odyssey and IPP. One on the cybersecurity side and the privacy side is uh, one of the most in innovative companies last year. Um, our, our sole focus um, is to enable companies to innovate fast with data, but at the same time, make sure they're fulfilling their obligations, right? Uh, because and those obligations are in three buckets. Uh, those buckets are certainly keeping it secure. Uh, if you can't keep it secure, um, you know, forget about doing any innovation with this data. Um, and then internal uh, governance in, uh, in the sense of um, uh, responsible use of data, uh, which is more tied to privacy and complying with the privacy regulations. And as you know, there are other regulations which are 
type of data, how do you actually map all those to actually the, uh, the regulations uh, side of things? So uh, the approach that we've taken is, especially as you go to multi-cloud, there is an opportunity to rethink your architecture um, because data exists in a lot of different silos. And there is no clear visibility and understanding of where is the sensitive data, right? Because if you don't have that master map, um, then it's a patchwork. And uh, other opportunity here is to not look this data through the separate lens of security and separate lens of privacy and separate lens of you know, different compliances. Once you establish this master map of what we call sensitive data intelligence uh, across all your data assets, then you can look at what automations are needed to make sure that this is safe from external uh, stealing of this data because we know uh, most cyber attackers are going after this sensitive data, like 90% or more attacks are to actually get your data, uh, essentially, right? So what controls, automations, visibility is needed for, for the protecting it from external threats? Um, and then, so we have a stack for that. And then um, for all the privacy orchestrations, automations, I'll, I'll talk a bit more details on that. Um, there is that something is, is needed. So we, we provide capabilities on that side also. Um, yeah, and then, oh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, finish up. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, so this whole process of discovery is a big part of the program, right? Knowing what an organization has, is that something that you folks help with? In other words, doing this scan of the information landscape, and to me, this is one of the really exciting parts of our industry is that, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, that probably would have been pretty difficult. These days, because of scale out architectures and the new capabilities that we have, you can scan a whole information environment and come back and give some pretty meaningful insights about all that. And then, of course, you have to step by step stitch it all together. So tell us how that whole process works. Yeah, in fact, it goes even one step back where you need to understand where your sensitive data assets are. Especially when you go to multi-cloud, um, often in mid to large companies, people, developers will you know, bring up systems and some systems will act like a data system, could be MySQL, MongoDBs, and you know, all kinds of data systems exist, right? Often there is no understanding, clear understanding of where are these data assets. We call them shadow data assets mm -hmm. because you, you don't know where they are, right? And especially in large organizations, developers in the spirit of doing fast work, they'll bring up the systems, right? And it's also migration to cloud. Uh, often very large organizations, they will simply do a lift and shift. You know, you will have hundreds and maybe thousands of different applications just lifted and shifted to cloud. Um, and there is no clear way to tell like where are the data systems in, in, in this thing. So it goes one step back to First of all, understand where are my sensitive data assets. So we create a master, uh, what we call discovery of shadow data assets, and create a master list uh, over there and maintain it over time because this this is an evolutionary list, right? Over, over time, then within that you can actually look at controls on it to understand if there is major threats uh, because of you know misconfigurations and all that uh, we actually pro provide. So you can shut things down very quickly. Uh, in terms of external exposures uh, and controls on, on these on these systems, that's that's the starting point. And then you can pick upon certain assets because now you know the assets exist, but you don't know how much data exists inside it and what data exists inside it, what compliances are required inside this data. You still don't know because you you're looking at a black box level at that point. Mm -hmm. So system by system, we allow um, uh, these things to be scanned. Uh, we have over two hundred different connectors. Uh, they can be scanned and we create two catalogs, a catalog of sensitive data for unstructured systems uh, and a catalog for structured systems. So at any given time, you can go to this catalog and you can say, hey, where is my best type of sensitive data sitting? And you literally get a map right there. It doesn't stop there. Uh, this is like, you know, just a discovery part. When you go to privacy, it becomes very complex because privacy is about the rights of a single individual. It's about the rights of Eric or Nick or Pat or Rehan. How do you know any one of these individuals data is sitting where? Mm. So we built something that we call people data graph, 
like literally a Google map kind of a view of this particular individual's data in which systems it's sitting, including unstructured, including PDFs, including pictures. And you can literally ask an English level question to say, show me, you know, Eric's data. Eric's means like some unique identifier. Uh, you give it and all of a sudden you see a global map across every way where the shares and pieces of Eric's data actually sitting there. And that is required by privacy for two reasons. One is to make sure that we have consent. And if the consent is revoked, we can do something about this data. Or if a DSR, which is actually a uh, consumer's right to revoke the access or ask requests for deletion of this data, then this map can become, uh, people used to do these things in months. In our platform, you can do that in literally you know, minutes to hours to actually mm. clean up your environments, right? It automates the whole process because the map is established. Uh, so, so that is, we also still call it in part of the sensor data intelligence, like it is people data graph. Um, and then there's risk. You can have all kinds of sensor data, but you need to know very quickly where is the risk on this data. And in a one visual form, in a trend line in time, can it tell which systems, which geographies, what kind of data is actually under risk? Mm. Um, so you can quickly go to it and you can, of course, present to others, but not, not just for presentation, but you can actually take actions. This policy engine actually sitting on top of it. You can say, based on the risk, based on time, we're going to take these actions um, on top of it. Mm. This whole thing is what we coined, coined the term called sensitive data intelligence, uh, SDI, security SDI. And it gives you basically, you know, one one place you go and ask these questions. Now, what does it trigger? The first thing it triggers is um, security, securing data. Now, if you have intelligence, you can take actions to secure it because no intelligence means no actions you can take, right? And those actions are taken by policy engines. And those policy engines are looking at configuration of systems. Uh, they're looking at access of systems, not from just from external configuration, but also from internal configurations who can, because over provisioning of systems, uh, you know, only on a need to know basis, people should have access to it. So we can look at your provisioning uh, yeah. to say this is actually a problem. So security controls is one thing. And then uh, the other is the entire stack of what we call privacy ops. If you can Google the term, you'll see it's become a big thing. <laughs> the privacy operationalization is a big yeah. thing in companies. Right? It's all type of data. Um, which means doing automatic data mapping, building GDPR, uh, what, what's called Article 30 reports, um, and then mm. fulfilling the entire DSR uh, process. When consent revocation, the consent is revoked, how do you actually go and clean up your systems? Um, if a breach happens, or, or actually you think a breach has happened, how do you know the impact? Because let's say in a breach, you think there's a breach has happened, uh, how do you know how many people are impacted? Because you know the system, but you don't know who's inside the system. Right. The obligation right. lies with you to notify these people. But who do you notify if you don't know who's inside? Right. So people data graph actually helps with the, the notification and so forth. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, before uh, we run out of time, we're going to be bringing our final guest who's been waiting so patiently in the wings out there, Bart Vandekakova from Volta, most previously of uh, Calibra. And so uh, Rehan was referencing catalogs, of course, Calibra data catalog vendor, something that we've talked about for decades, like business dictionaries and things like that. Calibra really was one of the ones that, uh, that kind of forced that whole construct to be real and to become a thing. It's a really big thing now. Uh, but uh, Bart has recently started his own company, Volta. So tell us a bit about yourself, Bart, and what you're doing in the whole privacy space. Yeah, th thanks, Eric, for having me. Um, so indeed, it's, it's a very interesting time. On, on the one hand, we're spending billions on cloud infrastructure. Uh, Gartner predicts that next year we're going to spend 81 billion on cloud. On the other hand, we're very scared of the cloud, right? And rightly so. You see, as we're investing in cloud, data breaches are increasing in number and sizes. We have uh, ever more complicated privacy regulations. So people are also scared. So as a result, they tend to lock, lock up the data in the cloud. And this is really unfortunate because it kind of impacts their, their ROI, right? You spend a lot of money on the on the cloud, and now you can't use that that very sensitive, very valuable data because you're you're afraid, and that's a very unfortunate dichotomy, right? And that's something we want to solve. And 
I think that now is the time for dynamic policy management. So when I saw the topic, I really want to join the call because I think this decennium will be a decennium of dynamic policy management, among others, because we have better metadata. We can scan systems. We have the catalogs. So we, all, we have that metadata to make dynamic uh, policies, right? And um, with Volta, there we want to help. So it's still a lot of work for data engineers or, or DBAs to configure controls. It's, it's a lot of work to manage policies. Uh, so with Volta, we want to make it easy for the data engineers and data owners um, to manage their policies in a central location for their hybrid cloud environment. And the goal is really to make their lives easier uh, because a data engineer, data owner, they cost a lot of money, right? You don't want them to spend all their time on menial tasks. They, they should use their brain for creating value. And they want to use great UX and, and also do target recommendations, target notifications, help them with their, their policy management. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And you're exactly right that we can do this now. So it's kind of a just-in-time thing. But don't touch that dial, folks. We'll be right back. You are listening to DM Radio. Here is today's top automotive tech story. I'm Nick Miles. Mini USA has launched a new mini app that provides customers with a new level of connectivity and digital services for their vehicles. The mini app features a new design along with an intuitive, simplified user experience that offers updated features and information, including services for customers with electrified minis. For more automotive tech stories, go to testmiles.com. These may be un certain times. But what is certain is that every family needs a reliable thermometer. Protect your family with the Exergen Temporal Scanner, the only home thermometer used and recommended by hospitals, physicians, and clinics. Stay safe with Exergen. You're listening to Global American Broadcasting, the Gab Radio Network. For more info on our programs and services, including technical operations and syndication, please visit gabradionetwork.com. Guys, guys, we need to clear a path here. Indeed knows unexpected employee turnover can stall your business. John. Like at Chris's logistics company, to avoid things grinding to a halt, he needs to get started hiring right, right away. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. And the moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get a $75 credit for your first sponsored job post. Terms and conditions apply. It's like I blinked, and suddenly all my business shifted to e-commerce. Now my business hours are whenever my customers need me. My customers want everything now and faster than ever. It's a whole different world. Your business is changing. The United States Postal Service is changing with it. We're bringing you fast, reliable shipping nationwide. And we're bringing it right when your customers need it. Let's discover new routes. Visit USPS.com slash new routes. The United States Postal Service. Priority you. This is Ricky Rubio, point guard for the Phoenix Suns. And I'm Holly Robinson P, actor and along with Ricky, ambassador for delivering jobs. We know that a job is empowering and instills confidence. Yet 81% of adults with developmental differences don't have a paid job. Even though companies that employ people with differences report better morale and higher productivity. There are 6.5 million people in the U.S. with an intellectual or developmental difference such as autism. And now, thanks to Autism Speaks, Best Buddies, the Holly Rod Foundation, and Special Olympics, there has never been more opportunity to improve hiring practices and build a more inclusive workforce. Join me, Ricky Rubio, and these amazing organizations in supporting and creating pathways to one million employment and leadership opportunities for this talented community. Visit deliveringjobs.org to learn more. That's deliveringjobs.org. The strength of America, our values, our way of life hasn't just been won on the battlefield. It's won every day in our communities when we come together, extending hands of compassion, service, and hope to those who need it most. For over 100 years, the American Legion has been strengthening communities across our nation by providing life-saving help and support to our veterans and neighbors during times like we're facing today. It's what the Legion's all about. From blood drives, to distributing food, 
From responding to emergencies and protecting the most vulnerable among us, our mission is making America's communities stronger. We are one family, and therefore, we care. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Kavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio talking all things dynamic policy management. You can't do this stuff manually, folks. It's just, you know, there's too much to tackle. There are too many gauges, too much data flying around. You cannot be able to manually solve these problems. And so you either do them dynamically or you go into another line of business. <laughs> We've been talking to Nick Halsey of Okira, Rehan Jalil from security.ai, Patrick Spedding, all the way from Australia dialing in, and Bart Vandekakova from Volta. And Bart, you were uh, making a point there. You know, we're talking about being able to dynamically manage this stuff. And uh, you made a really excellent point about the fact that we can do that now. You can scan these systems like Nick was talking about. You can do this stuff at runtime, and that's when you need to be able to do it because you can't just send out a you know a memorandum to your 1,000 analysts that say, okay, starting today, you won't be able to do this or that. Like, okay, are they going to read it? You know, people, I think a lot of people overestimate what people actually read. And so <laughs> it's important to have policies that go into effect. But Bart, uh, take it from there. Go ahead. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think the concept of dynamic policy management has been around for a while now in different forms and shapes. Uh, they introduced XACML, which was like the common policy language for ABAC back in 2000s. Um, and NIST mentions ABAC in their 2007 publication. So it's been around for a while. It never really got traction until now. And that's because we had this very, very interesting point where the technology is there to do uh, dynamic policy management. You can have a catalog. Uh, you have um, scalable processing power to enforce your policies without impacting your performance. Um, you have the automated cataloging, the automated data classification discovery capabilities. Um, but also, uh, that's technology. I would also like to point out that data governance is maturing. And I think for me, the most important hurdle for dynamic policy management is not necessarily. Uh, technological, right? I, I might be contradicting, but I think having good solid data governance in place where you manage high quality metadata that go into the policy decision making, where you have good master data management to connect uh, your customers or your products for good role level security, uh, where you have a, a good operating model will be important because dynamic uh, policy management, this is the first time where you're taking security out of the realm of the CISO, right? It used to be for the CISO alone, but now mm -hmm. you want to make it dynamic. It has to be driven by metadata. But who owns metadata? That's uh, your CDO, your chief data officer, right? So this is new. Who's going to take responsibility? Who needs to be informed and so forth? That uh, operating model, that's something you'll have to fix in order to have dynamic uh, policy management. Yeah, it's a really good point. And Nick, I'll bring you back in. I remember thinking about this 10 years ago and realizing that we do have very discrete departments. You've got the security folks, you've got the data governance people. They are discrete dis departments, but really they shouldn't be. And be just because you have so much overlap in terms of functionality, in terms of responsibility. So do you see that starting to blur a little bit? Are you seeing a greater awareness in clients, and especially in big companies, that guys, we have to work together on this stuff. We can't have a silo around security and then a silo around data governance. What do you think, Nick? Well, I agree completely. I was going to echo some of what Bart was saying is part of the other change is the organizational change, right? And you can't do this without organizational change, process change, right? It's not just the tech, right? So you do have more stakeholders involved in the process. And you do have like now data governance councils that get together to set policy, which is then, because the security officer has a different view than the regulatory and compliance officer, then the CDO, then the chief analytics officer, 
than the, 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 the CIO. I mean, they all have different perspectives on this. And you're also seeing the rise of new roles in the organization like data stewards, right? They're literally people planted in the business units responsible for policy that's, you know, for their team or their department or their division. So we have customers, for example, working with one large uh, multinational pharmaceutical firm. We started in clinical R&D, then went into HR, and then into, um, into manufacturing and supply chain. And so they have data stewards and the, the people who are governing the you know cancer research are putting rules around PHI information. Whereas the HR people, you know, they're putting in rules around, you know, employee information and applicant information. And so you need to be able to do things like have distributed policy management where you can delegate responsibility for policy definition to the operating units where the, the you know, the business information resides. But then you also need to have centralized uh, reporting and analysis. You can make sure that everything has been being done in a compliant way. We think of that like the old Reagan trust, but verify, you know, trust uh, to delegate, but verify with the kind of reporting to make sure you're in compliance. And, and those are really important evolutions, both organizationally and functionally as well. Yeah, and I think that there is, uh, it's interesting, we have this new interesting world now where you've got, I think, five generations of people in the workforce, and each strata has their own sort of worldview. I'll throw this quickly over to Nick before we bring Patrick back in. And I think younger people, it's interesting, you get to millennials and gener generation X, millennials, et cetera, all have slightly different views of the world around that that uh, that domain i suppose like i remember seeing some kid who referred to email as the dark web because like it's i'm like that's, that's not the dark web man but i know where he's coming from he's like oh but no, you know everyone can't see it I'm like all right well you know so there are different views so you have to kind of take that into mind a bit right Nick? well uh, you know absolutely and this is why you know policy enforcement of personal privacy information gets very complicated because you know, right now you go to a website, there's usually some coarse grain controls, yes or no, cookies, right? But actually, you know, I mean, a lot of people are very comfortable, millennials increasingly, you know, like I'll trade information about myself in exchange for better ad placement, you know, <laughs> don't show me stuff I don't want to see. I'm there, there. So you almost need a, like a dial you can turn, you know, like your tolerance level. Uh, so I mm. think there's going to be evolution all over the place in terms of, of how you, you think about uh, uh, parameterizing policy, you know, uh, uh, privacy rights or, or, or letting people, you know, set their own. I, I imagine there'll be a setting now when I go into preferences on my phone and I'll be able to set up, you know, my privacy settings there and then everything I interact with will be be, be governed by or will communicate back, you know, what, what policy settings I have. So right. I, think, I think you're right about that. And that's very interesting. And you must have a layer of abstraction for managing that in order to enable the enforcement across the different applications, right? Because if it's everyone, this is what kills me about these phones these days. Like, okay, every single app, I'm going to go in and do this set. It's not going to happen, man. I'm not uh, 24. <laughs> wow, that, that, that's a critical point. I think Patrick was going to chime in on that one. Yeah, Patrick, go ahead and comment on that. No, it was it, it was definitely an interesting comment. I mean, I saw um, a similar with with local government recently with with you know how to respond to COVID because. You know, your IT department, particularly in government, traditionally wants to lock everything down. And, you know, it's kind of everything's like black or white sometimes. And it's like, okay, well, no, nobody can have access to this information. But, but you know, say the executives or the councillors will be saying, well, you know, we need to make decisions. You know, we don't want to see a spike in suicide because we're not um, acting quickly enough to respond to the socioeconomic challenges or, or whatever. So I think that, you know, even in a situational perspective, you know, we we, we um, perhaps as you, the dial analogy, you know, perhaps there's a dial that says, well, okay, for this information, this is really important for certain reasons, you know, for the community or whatever it happens to be that, that we need to have, take a different approach. It's not just yes or no. Yeah. That's a very good point. And before we're out live, got 60 seconds, Rehan Jalil, very complicated times, but uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. What are your closing thoughts? 
the complexity of underlying system, uh, things are changing um, so fast that, of course, you certainly need policies. Uh, and policies inherently something, something that's changing underneath, and you want to create simplicity to automatically, you know, apply things. But even beyond that, uh, more more and more abstraction is needed. The policies could be done in a way that could have an explosion because you're just doing it. Uh, you're writing in a way that you have to write a lot of different kinds of policies. But if you can abstract it, and I do think at a certain point, it, um, you know, the underlying systems, um, they have to take the onus of taking their abstraction view of the policy or definition and then apply based on the dynamically changing whether your data asset uh, configuration is changing, the data certainly inside that is changing, your tables and things, what, you know, what kind of uh, data changing or data changing. Yeah, um, good point, folks. Well, listen, yeah, we'll do the podcast bonus segment coming up next. Send me an email if you want to get on air, info at dmradio.biz. We're booking out the second half of 2021 right now. We'll talk to you next time, DM Radio. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us if you want Viagra at the lowest prices. Never pay $15 a pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 800-357-1583 today to save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 800-357-1583 to take your call now. Call 800-357-1583. That's 800-357-1583. Again, 800-357-1583. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292 FQ Riverside, and K293 CF Moreno Valley. NBC News Radio, I'm Cameron Fairchild. Half of adults in the... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.